You're listening to Red Compass After Hours, the podcast where the best and brightest of the financial services industry let their hair down, unbutton their collars, and share what they really think about payments. I'm Mike Truter, Director of Digital Ecosystems and Innovation at Red Compass, and in each episode, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Julie Getter. Let's kick things off. We're very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, payment and banking expert, Adrian Mount-Stevens. Adrian is exceptionally up-to-date with how we pay for things, and in particular, the technology-driven revolution, which is affecting everything from digital wallets to mobile payments and QR code payments. To delve into a fascinating payment topic and to add a bit of spice and spontaneity, we don't yet know what the topic is. Instead, we're going to ask Adrian to select one from a huge list of topics. And then without any script or preparation, we will see where the conversation takes us. We have only one rule in this house, and that is that we need to be short, sharp, and to the point, like Scottish skin do. Little knife that goes in the in the sock of, uh, of of the Scottish attire. So short, sharp, and to the point. We'll try and keep it to that. Okay. Before we get down to business, uh, let's make sure everyone has a suitable refreshment. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us after hours. Uh, always a pleasure uh, to have a chat uh, with somebody who's enthusiastic about payments uh, and and brings colour to every conversation. Can I ask what tipple, uh, virtual or otherwise, you have chosen to wet your whistle this evening? Yeah, so it's a real drink, but it is a very dull glass of water. It's a bit early uh, in the day for me, and you certainly don't want drunk, Adrian, on, on, on this webinar. So. I, I think the conversation might be more fun then. <laughs> <laughs> might have to go out a bit later in the evening. <laughs> Save one for later, always a good idea. And Julie, are you drinking anything exciting tonight? No water, I'm afraid, is it? Yeah, that's, that's terrible. I think all three of us on water, That's what does that say about us? Anyway. Uh, let's move on. Adrian, I'm really eager to hear which topic you've chosen, but before we get to that, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself so that our audience can, can, can understand who you are and where you come from? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. And, and thanks, Julie. And thanks for inviting me on. It's really uh, a pleasure to be here today. Um, so yeah, Adrian Mount-Stevens, I'm um, working at Equinix, uh, the world's digital infrastructure company. Um, my job, I'm very proud to, 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 to have it. It's a, it's a really great job. I get to work uh, directly with the, with the payments and, and banking sector, which is a fascinating sector to, to work in. Uh, what, what do I really do? I sort of bridge the gap between my business and, and the financial services uh, sector and make sure that uh, every uh, all of the challenges and trends and digital transformation that's pushing its way through financial services that, that my company understands how to support that. And really what we do for, you know, I think it's about 12, 1300 financial services organizations now is, is and all over the world is we, we support them through that sort of digital transformation journey, provide them with digital infrastructure at the edge of the cloud that allows them to build these hybrid multi-cloud uh, architectures that are supporting the digital elements uh, of their business. So you're the foundations, the foundations or the backbone, I guess. Uh, unashamedly, I call it the plumbing. <laughs> we are the plumbing. <laughs> and uh, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about, about the role of that plumbing and, and, and the changes that that's going through uh, uh, at the moment as we, as we explore through the topic. Fantastic. Well, you know, you, you get to choose the topic. So maybe, maybe we'll move on to that uh, the moment, the big reveal. Let me throw up a, a little list here of topics um, for you to choose from. Hopefully, a, a nice array across uh, across all of payments. Is there anything here that tickles your fancy that that would be 
worthwhile for an after hours conversation? Well, I, I think I'd love to. I'd love to do a speed dating version one day with you, and we'll do all of them in an hour. <laughs> but I tell you what—I <laughs> tell you what's a hot topic. But I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit, if I may. So, if we look at embedded finance, that's something I'd really like to talk about. But I, I want to sort of mix and match. So maybe you can help me here. So we should definitely talk about embedded finance. But probably I'd drill into banking as a service and payments as a service. Those are really hot hot topics there but we can kind of look at it under the umbrella of embedded finance, but we can't really talk about anything without talking about COVID and just the, the impact of that on the, on the backdrop of everything we're seeing this year and undoubtedly into next year as well. So I'd kind of think we should have a go at that if that sounds okay. Sounds good to me. Julie, you happy with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, maybe I can Ask you, Adrian, why why did you choose that topic? What's what's the reason that you, you think it's so important? Yeah, um, if it, it's a personal fascination um, at the moment for me, so it's very current, particularly you know under embedded finance, just banking as a service. And what's really interested me is that, that this is a hot topic for a few reasons. I think, and in different parts of the world, it's a, it's a hot topic for, for, for different reasons. But if you look at the US, you've got Durban Amendment as sort of driving a, a, a hot area into banking as a service. Got lots of small, mid-sized banks who suddenly find themselves in a very advantageous position. And they're partnering with fintechs to, to, to build banking as a service stacks. That's just really interesting, just to have that market dynamic operates. Here in EMEA, you just look at what's happening this year specifically around this global pandemic and what is the question that is on my mind and has been for, for six to eight months is, is will the financial services community and all brands, will they view banking as a service differently because of what's happening now, because of some of the, right. the promises that it brings, right? Do you think about you know, speed to market or, or access to new geographies or flipping CapEx to OpEx or just doing things a different way. So it really interests me, particularly in EMEA, are we going to see an explosion in, in banking as a service and that uptake to get digital products in front of customers much quicker when traditional channels are coming down, digital is lifting up. So it, it really interests me for, for, from, from that sort of perspective. And, and I don't, you know, will we see this growth there or, or will the, 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 we should throw the R word in, the recession word in, is that kind of going to go counter to it? So you kind of see these potential tailwinds, which could make this really exciting area explode. And you see these tremendous headwinds as well. So where, how's it going to net out? Yeah, I think that's interesting, like, because it's almost two sides of the coin, isn't mm. it? Like, COVID has revealed mm. how much, like, everyone has moved the world online. And, in, and, and by doing that, I've shown, like, how now it's easy to kind of offer financial services due to, like, you know, the democratization of the tech, bank offering license, and so on. But on the other end, or other side of the coin, it's almost like in crisis time or in difficult time, 
you tend to stick with what you know and you tend to stick with oh, the yeah. institutions that you trust, which are effectively big banks. Because technically, like a lot of people still think that um, big banks are kind of too big to fail. And then my money is safe with them, my payment is safe with them, and so on. So you're right, I think, when you mention like balance and which which one will wait um, is definitely interesting to follow. I know which one I want to see winning, but I'm not <laughs> sure it will happen. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you, you, you just want to just a, a side comment on on a crisis. You know, there isn't a bank that I talk to that isn't grateful that we're in a crisis that they didn't cause and after 2008 and just that the impact of that on the industry particularly on reputation and trust to to your point julie that you know do we trust these big institutions that 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 reputational hammering after 2008 was horrendous for these big these big brands and there's even I, i won't name them but you know banks who are still trying to rename themselves you know to get out of the the, the, the hangover of, 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 of those times, right? So this is still going on. So, you know, the, um, the, I think that the, the, there's, there's a kind of, you know, uh, an acceptance we're, we're in a crisis and then there's a, 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 a need to move through that re- really, really quickly. But the banks are doing it from a different position this time, but they still carry that, that, that message of trust that was undermined. Yeah. Because if you think about 2008, and this is one thing I'd say to, to, to any any bank or something that I hear from them as well today, is 2008, they took their eye off the ball, and the ball is the customer. Now, this crisis, they cannot take their eye off the customer. They and, cannot. And I, I think it's been like, if this, this crisis compared to the 2008 crisis is totally different. First, yeah. it's like not a financial crisis Absolutely. originally, it's a health crisis, and then... I think the response for the bank like has been completely different thanks to regulation like you know everything is more backed and also like if you look at the communication it's been around how do we make our customers safe how do we make our employees safe don't think it was at all basically the dialogue in 2008 it was not like how can we help our customer return our their house now that we totally screw up you know so I, I want to ask a question here so what, what's stopping the incumbents or the you know the, the legacy whatever we want to call them from using the banking as a service or taking that same line right there's there's nothing to technically stop them from a tech perspective being able to commoditize their stacks and 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 leverage exactly what what you know the, the new starters are yeah yeah so I, uh, there's a couple couple of examples i think mike you know bbva doing a great job of spinning up you know, I think it's a separate business unit, but that's banking as a as a service. They've got that out there. Uh, there are other ba- banks do, doing the same, Starling very cleverly. You know, <laughs> take their own platform and then sell it. You know, there's some, some amazing maneuvers, but there's nothing to to stop any bank from from doing that in their own right. I think there there is a there's there's obviously questions around. Uh, we, we talked about it there. There's the kind of inertia of change. There's where they're going to spend their money, um, but and and of course, if you're coming from a, an incumbent bank with mainframe-based technology, spinning that into APIs, Easy, right? you know, it, it, it's going to be 
uh, that's, that's a challenge to to do right right there and then i think you hit hit a load of culture and risk and you know it, within the crisis is this the right time to do that or is this not so i think that that you know let, let's just think what what do i know about you know and uh, it budgets as well we should talk a little bit there the the the, the, the banks themselves are probably spending 70 80% of their budget just on the status quo just on maintaining that so they got 20% for innovation. How do you do that? You know, I'm a great believer if you're going to go to the casino, which I don't, but if you're going to go to the casino, don't spread your bets, go big, you know, and, and if you're... If go you're, big or go home, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think if you if your budget is 80% of your IT budget is on status quo and you've only got 20% to innovate with, can you really go big? And, and I think that's why we see a lot of slowness or a lot of inertia or, or a lot of talk of innovation but without any real delivery and it's those challenges of the culture where they have to spend the money maintaining that status quo and and i should say again because you know i talk to these guys all the time when we talk about tr transforming a legacy bank and transforming their core banking into a stack that could be api enabled and become a, a bass platform you're talking about people's jobs as well you know, yeah, hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people who are probably a bit grayer than me looking after, you know, th th these applications and and there's that 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 those decisions that you'd have to make as a business. The human face, right, as well to, to consider. It's not just financial. Yeah, so I kind of I just I just want to so I I I see you can see some banks are making the moves to build BAS platforms mm. bbva is a great example of, of, of how to do that you can see others aren't but but i wonder is 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 there the opportunity for banks who don't do that is the the opportunity for them to flip the model and instead of being the license provider they've they become the brand right and they, they could actually take advantage of the other bas players and play both and play both ends. So, you know, a banks could provide their license, like we see in the US with the Durban Amendment. Um, a bank could spin up a Stalin or BBVA model and become a, a provider themselves. But they could also flip. They could also take advantage of these platforms that are out there. Absolutely, to, to, it's the ecosystem play, right? Leverage yeah. the ecosystem that's available to enrich your your product set or your services, right? Yeah, get to new geographies, do things fast. I mean, why not? You know, and I'm sure. Starling and, and and BBV I do talk to other banks and this does happen but isn't that a great opportunity too for a bank to get new products digital into channels fast I mean that's incredible call me pessimistic here that when we say like um why what, what is talking bank doing that um I think a lot of bank has a very, very, very messy infrastructure and coming to a point that, where, yeah, sorry, oopsie. Hey, I'm supposed to be French provocative, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess like effectively when you say, yeah, let's move to um, an open infrastructure with API and so on, like it will take them years to get to this stage and then opening their, their basically like system. And I agree, like you mentioned BBVA and the starting of this world. I think they are great exception. And in, in fact, like ahead of the curve and BBVA have been for many years, right? They've been talking about this digitalization of payment, I think for almost 20 years now. So 
and, and you're right, banks are only spending a lot of budget maintaining the status quo, but the current status quo is not good enough to offer banking as a service effectively. So I think banks should try to leverage on how do I use my 80% trying to improve the infrastructure. And you have a lot of opportunity coming along, such as like, you know, ISO 222 migration and, and, and so on. In fact, we did a video about that, like about some tips on yeah. how like some regulatory spends can be used. But yeah, I, I'm sorry, like on this, I'm a bit pessimistic. And I think like, um, unfortunately, uh, don't get me wrong, great opportunity, great business opportunity, definitely way to go. But there is definitely a journey for me. Yeah, I, I always worry that that you know, too, too many banks take the wait and see approach. Let's let's wait and see how things kind of turn out. Yeah, so oh, this technology, where's it going to go? Or oh, let's see how that goes. But every every day that you don't start the journey is like one day longer till you reach the end of the journey, right? Because it, it it's it's going to evolve and it's going to change. And yeah, I, I really worry. I really like that idea, Adrian. The the kind of hybrid model, right? So. Yeah, use what you have, right? You've got a solid base, a great foundation. Now let's see what you can do with that foundation to build your business out or find new opportunities, right? Because that's something the 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 digital banks, the new the neo banks don't have in their favor, right? They don't have the solid foundation that they can really leverage and offer something potentially that's way in excess um, of 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 what it, what a new starter can can offer. Yeah, and I think that's a rich proposition, right? Yeah, and that's a fascinating thought, right? If if you think about where we are and look at looking at a recession, and I think I'm right in saying financial services is is one of the worst performing sectors in, in the last couple of quarters. Um, that that might be in the in the UK, but you know it's very challenging times. You're looking ahead, you're looking at bad debt and all of these things that come with a re recession. So you're thinking, okay, as a bank, digital's going to be you know the way people interact right and even without covid if you don't understand what generation z are doing they've never been into a branch they don't even they don't fill in paper they don't even know what a pdf is that you know they're doing they're doing everything here every, everything here and generation z is now every year becomes the biggest customer base all of us whatever industry we're in we should only be thinking about building proposition to a generation Z. And if the rest of us don't like it, forget it. But that's how important digital is going to be, which means all of us have got to get on TikTok. Mike, we've got to get on TikTok, right? <laughs> we got tomorrow, not for yesterday, right? That's 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 the point. So so if you if just to just to just to finish that, so if you've got to go digital, whether it's COVID, Generation Z, it's it's just the the, the future. The banking as a service can get you there so so fast, right? You just think back ten years ago. If I'm a, a big brand and I want to partner with a bank, I've got to do a white label project. I've got to do an RFP. I've got to phone up Accenture. It's going to take me three years, and I get it in test. I get something in test, and probably the CEO changes, and the whole project gets canned. You know, <laughs> three years, nothing's happened. Okay, now what can I do? I can go to Rails Bank, I can pop onto their APIs in their sandbox environment. I haven't even spoke to my boss. Right? Yeah, but I'm in a position and I could do something. Or sign the contract. I'm just there. I'm just that. That's how fast you can do it. And, th and that could be any brand or any bank could go and do that. So you could build a proposition. Now, if you're a bank and you move into that hybrid model, you've got your customers too. 
But if you if you think about the way we are headed and everything's going to happen on an app, you you said it, Mike. We can't let you know you can't stand still. You can't let the the world pass you by. You've got to be focused on digital channels, new propositions. You know, banking as a service allows you to specialize, right? Get really tailored products in front of audiences, partnering with brands to get to their audience, bringing your own customers, however you want to do it. But it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a interesting one word. concept. I'm going to interrupt you there because you keep mentioning partner. And I wonder if partners are probably the key, right? Here, because you can't do it alone. Is that, that's one of the things that, that is kind of different today, right? In the past, I could do this all myself today. We probably can't, right? And that's the whole con, con, I concept of breaking up a bank into into components, I guess, or different services that make up a proposition which is different from the past. That means you can move fast, but there's a different type of complexity. And certainly those partner relationships seem to be kind of a key part of the glue that sticks it all together. Yeah, I kind of sometimes my, my, my head, my thought process kind of gets stuck because this reciprocal relationship between banks and fintechs, it's now at the point where that they need each other, right? There are fintechs failing. There are banks who are going to going to fail, and they're not too big to fail. They're going to miss the opportunities. But both parties need to be open to to these partnerships, right? They've got to get past this cultural sort of, you know, inertia because the the fintech community looks hugely exciting. But unless the 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 businesses, the incumbents, are ready to to make it happen you could have the best idea in the world in the fintech community but it will it will never come right so the synergy right that concept of synergy the whole is greater than the sum of the parts so the individual I, parts together i, I think we should make, make a bet tonight and like see like if we pass forward in 10 years time like um we both mainly work with banks right whether it's what compass or, 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 or you are doing I'm just thinking like, and today I read a stat from BIS saying a quarter of payments are not initiated by banks. So I feel like, let's say in 10 years time, we have the same conversation, how many of our customers will be banks as opposed yeah. to brand from the high street. I, I, come on, bet open. What do you think? 30%, 50%, 100%? I think in 10 years, it's gone. You know, it's Generation Z. It, it's just gone. It will be 70, 80%, right? It will be non it will be non-banking transactions triggered here by by you know what generation Z will be in their thirties, right? That they'll, they'll have taken over. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I'm also thinking like yeah. 80, 90% at least. Yeah. yeah what do you I, think, I, Mike? Up there? I, I think I think um there's a lot of friction. Um, I'd like to think I agree with you, but I also think things take time, right? And I, I think, I wonder how much the regulator will allow the change to happen um, at pace, because there's always that dynamic, right? So we'll stick with what I know. I can only allow so much change at a certain pace uh, before things get out of control and I've got to reel it back. So I, I think it might be a little bit more measured, but I, in my my. My heart's telling me 80%. My head's telling me it'll it'll take a bit longer. But you know, that's funny your point about the regulator because like coming back to your point, Adrian, around like COVID, 
if you think of the attitude of the regulator with COVID, like, you know, and uh, the Sibyl, for example, they put Starling on the list rather quickly, right? So mm. I think like when the market is crying for a change, regulators have like no options than adapting to this change effectively and, 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 and change the, the processes and the way of operating. Yeah, Maybe parts of the world will respond differently, right, as well, though. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, Julie, good point. I think, isn't there a story back from 2008 that Goldman Sachs got its banking license in a day? You know, is, it, is, that, is that right? I, I, think, I think, you know, way back then, and you're absolutely right, when needs must, we can shift things, right? Yeah. And the regulators can, can move. Uh, I, I also just want to throw in, this is... I'm, I'm sitting here in London outside of the EU. So uh, <laughs> bear with me while I talk about the EU. <laughs> but the EU is is certainly looking at something they're calling the open data economy, right? So just they want, they want 27 countries, free flowing data under GDPR. That data is open with my consent for any tech, to, could be FinTech, could be any business, big tech, anyone can work with my data with my consent. The EU definitely sees that, right? And, and they certainly have a vision for it. Uh, and um, uh, and what I see coming is, you know, we, we've seen open banking and PSD2 directives, right? But I can certainly see more directives, regulations, guidance, advice coming from the EU into financial services to open up other and expand upon PSD2 to make more data available. I can also see them put in some sort of uh, guidance together around big tech as well to kind of level the playing field, right? And certainly around public sector data too, right? Which and they can- data for financial crime as well, right? Yeah, so if you kind of project that 10 year future to Julie's point, we're on an app. And that app's not just doing financial well-being. That's got... It's a super app. Yeah, it's a super app, right? And I can see more regulation coming from the EU, the Commission, to push this forward because the benefits this brings are huge. So you you can have banking as a service, open banking, real-time payments, platforms, all of these... these trends which are kind of you know supported by digital transformation disrupting the the banking industry a bit but basically it's just going to put more power here right in in the hands of of generation z and this future in 10 years time that's why i think it's it's just going to happen is 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 incredible what power we could have every single business is going to need to be an expert in data Right, and and I don't think financial services leads 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 in that space, right? It doesn't lead it doesn't lead in that space. But you could see the banking as a service providers layering data services as well, right? Yeah, and 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 and, and then this that really makes these apps much more powerful. But I I think like this is for me like um, because you take this yeah you're right this is a product today but when you talk about data the product it becomes this right (laughs) (laughs) so effectively like on this i'm hoping that the regulation will kind of help on limiting the product to this or if it becomes this 
then making sure that I'm aware that I'm also the product effectively and like what is the consequence of the data I'm sharing. A great stat, Julie. Sorry, Mike. Great stat is Generation Z is more than happy to click a button and give its data knowing that something's going to come back. The more gray you have in your hair, the less likely you're going to click that. My dad's, my dad's going to be so terrified about what that consent button means. He's never going to click it, right? And yeah. but I'll do it with some thought. But Generation said they get it, right? Yeah, they trade kidding. their they trade their data for product. But have you heard about the biggest paradox of data, right? Yeah. I, I I heard it and it was funny. Like everyone said, "Oh no, I don't want to share my data." In fact, everyone is doing it. Everyone is doing, whether you have gray hair or not, you're sharing your, your data. I think for me, like the point is, is around like more awareness. Like what is the consequence of sharing your data effectively and, and will it create more polarization? I was reading recently an article about this, like Mitsuhost starting to sell like um, data, mm. payment data, and they wanted to sell to the merchant and to restaurant so that when you're being seated at the table, they will use your data to pick and select the customer. I'm like, I don't want to live in that world where basically like people are gonna be compared and because I'm earning more than somebody else or somebody is earning more than me, then I won't be seated at the table. Then that's where like, you know, I think it's a business where we need to be a bit careful not to create like more inequalities or disparities. My goodness, I'm, I'm gonna feel really bad now because this conversation is just hotting up. And I need to close it down because we, we've gone well over our 20 minutes, but fascinating. I've let it run because I, th I think we're, we're really starting to touch on some really interesting ideas and concepts. Maybe, maybe we're going to have to pick this up with a separate, a separate discussion because there's so many threads we can run away with here. But before we end, maybe I can ask for a, a kind of final thought, uh, Adrian, from your side. Yeah, just to finish off where we started embedded finance i think i've seen some data looks like 3.6 trillion dollar business by 2030 right a huge opportunity let's let's see what happens yeah julie any thoughts from you um good question so no i i agree with adrian like let's see where embedded finance like bring us and i'm hoping that banks will realize the opportunity that Adrian just mentioned and like think of improving the infrastructure to be ready to move on this journey so that everyone can be a bank. Yeah, so no matter what happens, the world is gonna change, right? That's that's one thing we can be certain of in 10 years time, it will not look anything like we do today. Um, and technology is kind of going to continue to drive, I think that innovation as, as we change. So exciting times. Um, Adrian, this is the type of conversation I have every day in the office with uh, with with Julie. It's it's always exciting, and we get into these 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 topics. Thank you for being part of our conversation today. It's always a pleasure to to chat to you. Thanks for listening to Red Compass After Hours. If you've enjoyed this discussion, then please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player. That's all for this episode. See you next time.